The information provided on the Finesse Your Money podcast is not intended to constitute legal, business, financial or other professional or product advice. It is provided as general information only and is not intended as a substitute for personal advice from a qualified and licensed professional who is familiar with the facts of your particular circumstance. Ever asked yourself where your money is going? It's a common problem for businesses and people personally. Is it dumb luck to be successful with money? Or is it the smartest and most successful businesses and people that plan and know their numbers? Is your money out of control or needing some finessing? In this second season of Finesse Your Money, we're focusing on growth for businesses and personal and practical steps that you can take to grow. We explore what inspires our inspirational guests and the importance of giving back. We've also got some excellent tips from our guests about their planning process and who they rely on to keep their money under control and set themselves up for a bright, happy future. Get ready to be inspired. I'm Janine Wilson, the host of Finesse Your Money. I've been a financial advisor for 10 years and an accountant beforehand for, well, many more years. I'm the founder of Finesse Financial Advisors. My guest today is Ellen Barron. Welcome, Ellen. Hi, Janine. How are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for joining me. It's really great to chat. You're the founder and CEO of Ruby Cha-Cha, an amazing insights and experience agency based in Sydney. And essentially, you help businesses connect with consumers to create growth opportunities. I understand that your business name came to be because Ruby is the colour of passion, enthusiasm and energy. And Cha-Cha, the dance, is obviously fun and spirited and memorable. So tell us more about your business and what lights you up. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, passion and spice is, uh, is something that's really, really important to us at Ruby Cha-Cha. Uh, Ruby Cha-Cha was founded in 2008 and we founded it originally on the hope that we could make a difference in our own space because at the time market research was very much... Um, large uh, holding companies with you know big agencies and you know a sort of a smattering of, of smaller independent concerns but nothing really strategic and uh, helpful so taking the client past the basics of research into helping them build strategy to help them grow so that's how we kind of kicked off so what I'm very passionate about is that endpoint. I enjoy the consumer journey. I love talking to people about how they feel about brands and what brands are doing for them and what and what their needs are and so forth. But I I very much enjoy the end part of the journey where we bring that all together for a client and help them either launch a new product or create a brand strategy that will help them grow. I've just recently finished a five-year roadmap for a client to to help them and we did their research during the COVID period but it actually shone a light on a lot of problems that probably exist in the business anyway but just magnified them and that helped us really supercharge their innovation pipeline for the next five years based on some of the learnings that came through that COVID moment. That's great. So you've worked with some really big names. Can you tell us what you're working on behind the scenes at the moment? Uh, some of it's a bit confidential, but I'll give you a bit of a, a run. I mean, Uber has been a, a large client of ours for 
a few years now. So we've run some great projects with them using something that we call storytelling sessions. So we've had drivers, for instance, in talking to us about safety issues. And that's been quite compelling and, and challenging to listen to at times. I think we hear about the safety issues of the riders that are portrayed in the media, but it's the drivers who also really undergo significant safety issues. It was good to hear about all of that and, and also bicycle couriers who probably have the hardest job of anybody I've ever spoken to in my life. <laughs> they, they really have a hard time. Uh, so, so working with clients like Uber, we have a, a significant um, client in Sanofi um, in the healthcare space. So we do a lot of work in vitamins and supplements, which is a really interesting space. And healthcare is going gangbusters at the moment. I'll bet. Course, yeah. And of course, you know, people think about vitamins as being a pill, but actually, you know, it's branching into so many different formats and ways that people are fortifying their their natural diet and you know the, the rise of veganism and plant-based protein and so forth has also been something that we've worked on with fast food giants like uh, hungry jack so we were really happy to do all the research behind them launching their rebel whopper uh, which has been a massive success so uh, so yeah being able to provide a consumer-led pathway for clients is what we do and bringing the consumer into um, the picture to help them co-create um, a more successful pathway for clients. Sounds brilliant. So in the world of finance, we often talk about equity, the notion of equity. So what does brand equity mean and why is it important? Well, brand equity is huge in, in my world as well. In fact, that's what clients usually track. So, you know, they monitor how their brand equity moves up and down. Now, brand equity is really the worth of the client. It's the value that consumers or customers imbue in a brand. And so that's made up of things like consumer perceptions, brand awareness, and so forth. So we work on what we call a brand health monitor. And brand health actually measures the equity of the brand, as well as its awareness and some other important metrics. And clients like to look at that over time. Now, often this is a large investment and the needle doesn't move too much for particularly some clients like finance clients. Finance clients also track what we call a net promoter score, which is a advocacy score. Mm. So that's how many people talk about your brand. And it kind of goes hand in hand with brand equity as well in terms of understanding how important that brand is and how much worth is imbued in your brand with your customers. So I guess that covers things like why people choose the brand that they choose and the brand loyalty and, and so on. That's correct. So having a strong brand equity means that your, your brand is valued by others and that's appealing to new customers and prospects. So people will look at everything these days from, you know, Google reviews and star ratings right through to deeper information that they can gather either on the internet or through word of mouth. Now, word of mouth is probably one of the most important channels that a brand, whether they're a finance brand or an FMCG brand. So very, very important. And that word of mouth 
that drives advocacy and your net promoter score ultimately drives your brand loyalty. And so for me, when I hear that, Ellen, it makes me think that it's around, you know, my business is built on referrals and many other people's are. And certainly there's lots of people in the community now that are promoting products um, so you know to get that you know via social media and so on to to sort of build brands up and and make them you know more I guess young and hip or whatever whatever young people say these days <laughs> yes and it's really important because you're mentioning everybody's out there trying to say the same thing to everybody in the same way and you know we say to our clients you market to everybody you market to nobody mm. Right, so what you have to do, the, the challenge for any brand, and particularly in finance where, you know, you have a finite set of things that you can say and you're bound by regulatory and all of those sorts of things, you need to make sure that you have worked out who your target audience is for your particular product. And I know that's easy enough to say if you've got a very, very, if you're a very, very large brand like Westpac, for instance. Westpac is very, very clever because it still targets niches. So it's it's run a, a massive segmentation as, as most large financial organisations will do, whether or not it's a geographic segmentation, a demographic segmentation or a needs-based segmentation. To understand who the most valuable customers are and then you, uh, once you once you prioritise your most valuable customer, then you talk to them and you create your marketing funnel around that particular target audience. You know, if you're out there trying to make a difference, you need to get your point of difference that is relevant to your target audience. Mm. And I had that chat recently with Hunter Leonard. He works a lot with people who are starting new businesses. And, and I guess what comes through there is it's so important to actually, you can have a business idea and a fantastic business idea, but really you have to go and ask people whether it's attractive or appealing or, you know, whether they'd use it or buy it because, you know, there's plenty of ideas that have plenty of businesses that have fallen by the wayside because they just didn't do their research, didn't do their homework. That's absolutely right. And research can be quite simple. Mm. You know, it can be as simple as just asking friends and family about does this sound like a viable proposition to you? Would you buy it? Because ultimately that's one of the most important questions if you're trying to launch a new product or service onto the marketplace, who is going to buy it? Mm. You know, we have conversations with big uh, blue chip corporates and they get so internally focused, they, they get to a point where they believe in their new service or their product idea so much because it's, like a, it's become like a baby to them and they feel that everybody will like this idea. But, of course, these things get launched and they fail. Mm. And why do they fail? Because they haven't got a market. They haven't done their research. They haven't understood the market need or the tension that exists. You know, what are they trying to solve? You're, if you're um, launching a new product onto the market or a new service onto the market, it needs to solve a problem. It needs to solve an existing tension it needs to fill a gap. Would be a Me Too product, and that's fine, but it still needs to have a point of difference from everything else that's out there. And yeah. you need research to help you understand that. I agree. I mean, I, I've worked in corporates for many years, and and I, I guess what comes into mind there is the whole groupthink. You know, yes. <laughs> everyone jumps on board with this amazing idea, but no one outside the organisation loves it. 
So what are three most common questions people are asking you at present and, you know, what are the most common mistakes that you're seeing when it comes to consumer perceptions? I think the first and most important question is who is my customer? And if you're not asking yourself who, who is my customer, then you're, you know, you're in the wrong business. <laughs> you know? Because if you've got a product or service out there, you need to know who that is. And we find that whenever we post anything on who is my customer, it seems to get the most pickup in terms of search terms and so forth. So understanding your customer, being able to visualise your customer, not just what they look like, but who they are so much so that you feel like they've become a friend. So you need to understand not only what their rational needs are for your financial products, but emotionally, what do they need from you? And a really good example of that in your industry would be perhaps women who might be older, for instance, who may have always had you know, their husbands, for instance, look after their finance and, and perhaps they're separated, divorced or widowed. And now they're on their own and they have to start from scratch in a very, very foreign world with very, very strange language. So being able to understand their emotional needs and how you can reach out and help them and speak to them is really, really important. Uh, I mean, that's certainly what I do as, you know, women's finance specialist, just, you know, taking the time to get to know people and what their needs are and, and then exploring how I can help them. Absolutely. And, and I think it's really well appreciated when people know that a brand or a business is trying to connect with them emotionally. You know, it's that whole UE ad kind of idea, we get you. People want to be gotten, you know, um, in a good way. <laughs> if you get my, get my language, you know, they want you to get them and understand where they're coming from. The other thing that people are often keen to know is a little bit about their brand health. So how are they tracking? You know, how do people see them? Or how, how can they lift their brand awareness out there? Because, you know, many, many businesses, even large companies suffer from low brand awareness. And, you know, we've just done a, a piece for, for the ABC, for instance, where, you know, a, a brand awareness in particular around bushfire emergencies was found to be quite low, even though they, they were seen to offer a really strong, you know, uh, assistance and they really help save lives. But the, the brand awareness of some of the ABC branding around emergency broadcasting was really, really low. You'll see a press release probably in the next day or so on on how we've actually helped them with that. And, and, and brand awareness is, is important. If people don't hear about you and don't see you and don't know you, then how are they going to get in contact with you? So, you know, these days there are so many different channels to choose from. Facebook and social media is, is but one channel and search engines and so forth. It's really, really important for you to be clear on whether or not you know, television or radio or some of these other traditional channels might not be a better way to go than just social media alone. So uh, research can help you with that. And then another big common question right at the moment is very much of the zeitgeist, and that is how is COVID-19 impacting my brand or service? And will the market research that you're conducting right now be useful or be you know are we researching the time when people are in a different mind space and I I say to clients no because we're, we're never going back to January 2020 and before 
we are moving in different times and what we need to do is understand how consumers are changing and adapting and coping in those times. And yes, March and April were probably very, very heightened times of fear and anxiety, but that's now starting to settle down. And now is really the time to start to understand what is the new normal for people and what are they needing from your business to help them readjust and realign. And I completely agree. I mean, obviously, in the finance sector, the global financial crisis, I mean, we were still talking about that on a weekly basis 10 years afterwards. And so you you never go back to the before. There is going to be some new state uh, and, you know, whether that state of mind is a permanent change for people or a temporary change, it's really important information, isn't it, when you're building brands and you're building awareness around brands. And a great opportunity. You know, there's a little bit too much of the, you know, emotional advertising around COVID-19 now because it's created so much clutter. But really the best play for a brand at the moment is getting underneath those you know, underlying consumer needs. What do people really need help with right now? What are they trying to achieve in their lives? Mm -hmm. And how can a finance business help them with that? You know, so putting all the COVID drama aside and getting down to brass tacks, what can you do to help people manage their superannuation right now? Because if they've tapped into it in any way, you know, that that's going to need, mean a whole different way of thinking about that. If they're worried about their super and how that's been impacted by the crisis, mm. if they are, you know, thinking about how to cope now that their job is on the line, mm. for instance, how do they need to manage their finances now? And if they have put their uh, mortgage, for instance, on hold, what is going to be their plan coming out of that grace period and how are they going to manage that? So there's all of these opportunities, I think, for financial products and services to help people. Mm, I agree. And I think, you know, I would love to see more Australians get financial advice. I think when there's been such a period of uncertainty and such a big drawdown on resources, it's it's an important time to, you know, check in and you know, from my experience over the last 10 or more years, what I know is that people who do look at that carefully and plan around these changes will get a much better result than those that don't. Absolutely. What's your best advice to businesses around exploring new ideas or switching things up, Ellen? Like anything, I think it's really important to do a bit of research, first of all, because you need to really understand what the gap is. And if you've got a, if you've got a fair understanding of that already, then I think you need to, you know, shape an idea and potentially co-create it with some consumers. So they are best placed to help you work out what's the fine tuning that's required to take that idea to market and potentially also how to message it really well because I do see a lot of clients who have great ideas and they launch them and the advertising or the messaging is all wrong. And so everybody misses the value in the ideas. So very, very important to do a bit of research around that. And I think in terms of getting the product fine-tuned, it doesn't hurt to have a look at maybe some of the products that you or ideas that you've had in the past. Maybe they didn't work before. Maybe it wasn't the right time and maybe it's time now to, you know, dust off the cobwebs and bring them back and sort of see if they can be fit into this new normal that we're all facing. Because certainly there's been a, you know, a 
big shift in consumer sentiment. I've certainly seen that with other people I've spoken to, you know, people going back through all of their marketing channels and funnels, you know, because they were getting so much negative feedback in, you know, in that pandemic we've just been through or, you know, seeing the tail end of and, you know, just everything needs to be revisited. And so it's an important thing to do that. And as you say, there might be some ideas that got lost in the ether and, you know, now's a perfect time to just see how they how they can work for you. I think it's also important not to push the pandemic lever too hard. Mm. There is fatigue out there and, you know, all you're doing is pushing the anxiety and worry button, which is not going to endear people. You will lose your, you know, you will lose equity in your brand through messaging that uh, takes away from the value that you can bring to people. So you need to be really careful around that. You're right. I I got fatigued very quickly. So tell us more about yourself growing up. What initially sparked an interest in branding and marketing and consumer trends? Well, you wouldn't believe it because I've probably come into marketing on the most strangest journey because as a kid growing up, science and chemistry were my great passions. I absolutely loved it. And so I studied four unit science at HSC and then went into a chemistry career which I really liked conceptually but found that I was just way too social and individual to be cooped up in a lab with a bunch of introverts. (laughs) (laughs) I lasted nine months in my first chemistry job. (laughs) It just wasn't for me. Yeah so as much as I like balancing equations I came out of that and I I really needed to get a job quickly, so I ended up uh, working in a bar and uh, I worked in public bars for nearly 10 years. I just love the social side of, of, you know, pulling beers and, you know, chatting to people and, and all of that sort of stuff. And, and while I was about it, I changed careers and I, I was going to get a degree in art and um, I really fancied myself as a, a ceramicist. But when I was doing my degree, I actually fell into psychology and computer database management of all things. And I ended up coming up with a double major in those <laughs> instead. It has been a winding road, Ellen. <laughs> Then I started a PhD in psychology in, in addiction and gambling behaviour and that was that was all going very, very well but then I just, you know, I needed a job that would actually pay um, a better salary so living on a grant was just not good enough so I ended up falling into market research that way. From market research and, and then I started an MBA and I got very interested in branding and and so forth. So that's where I am today. So I have a mix of market research and marketing management that I have sort of formulated my first career on. And I'm starting to think about where am I going to next for my next career? <laughs> so it sounds to me like you've got the best of both worlds. You know, you, you're able to draw on your creativity and sociability and also, you know, draw on those, you know, that research, that scientific base. So, yeah, well done. <laughs> Tell me what you wish you'd known when you were starting out in your career or life in general. One of the things I wish I'd known, uh, when I was in year 12, I wish I'd known how many different careers there was because... You know, year 12 was 1979 for me and and really if you're a woman, they pretty much schooled you in. You could be a teacher, you could be a nurse, you could be a receptionist and maybe you could be a scientist or something like that. But, you know, there wasn't much else around. So I didn't even know anything about communication and 
marketing or it never really thought about it and then I think the other thing that was important for me to learn on the way through was that the HSC wasn't the be all end all of a career you know I I started another career after doing chemistry I didn't complete my chemistry course I ended up taking a break I had a child and then I came back and I did my degree when I was 27 and it was great so I was like the smartest girl in the room because I was a mature age student <laughs> but I could still go to the bar with the kids which it was also great <laughs> but you know I kind of grown up a lot and also being a parent I you know I, I studied really hard but it came more easily and uh, you know it was great it was a great ego boost um, doing so well and and then coming out of that I you're talking about the GFC, I came out of that into the 1990 recession and there was only three companies that came to Careers Day at my university. Wow. Yeah, so I was thinking of all different kinds of things, which is why I ended up staying in the university system for so long. But, you know, you make, it, you make the best of it and I think just being able to be told that you're, all, you're going to be all right and you just need to think laterally about where to go next and market research was a, a lateral conversation that I have, you know, doing all of these things were all lateral conversations and just sort of feeling confident in making a move, not being scared of failure and being able to pick yourself up and dust yourself off and, and, and get on with things has been kind of life lessons well learned. Yeah, I find it interesting. Uh, when I think back to my leaving of school, I think the options were, you know, be a secretary, have a job that when you, you know, met the man of your dreams and got married, you know, you'd have your family and that would be the end of your working career. But certainly, you know, times have certainly changed. And, you know, I think that that's why we still are seeing so much of a gender gap between men yeah. and women in the workforce and and, you know, financially as well. So what's been the hardest part of uh, running a creative business and, and how, how do you deal with that? Finance, funny you should ask. <laughs> Cash flow is always the hardest part of running any business, particularly a creative business, because it's not really considered an essential service to many. And we've just, you know, we're just going through a period right now where, you know, marketing budgets are cut and market research is usually about 5% of a marketing budget. So it's often considered the first thing to go, which is crazy because as I've just outlined to you, it's such an important driver of good business decision-making. So creative and business decision-making is, is really, really important. Well, for me, I think it's the, you do that and then you decide yes or no, you know, stop or go, isn't it? Yeah, cash flow is always a, a problem and it's never not been in 11, 12 years or something of running this business. So it's always keeping an eye on it. And just when you think that you're, you're doing really well, the next crisis comes along. So I think being adaptable and not overreacting to the ups and downs has been really important. Creative agencies have loads of ups and downs. Mm -hmm. People come and go, I think particularly in creative agencies because you are dealing with creative people, they have, you know, much more emotional needs. <laughs> and that can also be a bit of a challenge um, in terms of making sure everybody's needs are met running a, an agency. And then I think uh, it's, it's really the, the marketing of your own business. It's a bit like, you know, plumbers and, and you know, leaky taps. <laughs> <laughs> We've had to work long and hard on our own marketing and um, I do believe that there's not a lot of other market research agencies out there that are doing enough 
research on their own business and you know enough marketing mm. so what values underpin you as a human and, and you know your business purpose why are those values so very important to you i think the real values that i hold for my business is excellence i i really think you know I say this all the time to the team the product going out the door has to be the highest quality possible i'm also a realist and 90% is good enough mm. um so i'm not looking for you know overachievement or over deliverables but i am looking for a really quality product that makes people want to come back and and drives advocacy so that's really really important to me integrity is also important to me i need clients who trust me you know trust me enough to get the job done and to to manage their budget really well and and their needs you know i say to my team all the time not everybody's got loads of money to spend and big budgets but that doesn't mean that we don't do a great job and it's really important to find ways to help clients manage their bu- budget better because sometimes they come in the door and they ask for x and we give them y we say look you don't need to spend that much money all you need is this mm. and and we do that in the hope that they will come back with their next project realizing that the integrity has been there and and that we are really passionate about their business as much as we are passionate about ours which is what that spice and <laughs> ruby is all about really and i think the other thing i'd like to say is generosity of spirit and collaboration they they're also values that are really important to me so we've always done some pro bono work for not for profits and done free market research for them everything from genes for genes and the children's medical research institute through to you know doctors without borders and and so it's really important to give back mm. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I've I built my business on giving back on a regular basis. So, you know, I think it's really important and uh, I, you know, I think it I think it's good for for the soul and I think it's good for the team and it's obviously good for other people if you, you know, can help the community. So, has there been a person who changed your life through an act of kindness, Ellen? There has actually. I've had several, but I'm going to name one person in particular because um it was when we were starting our business and through my ex-business partner's jeweler we met a lady called Jackie Lane and Jackie became our business mentor and advisor and she was invaluable and she didn't charge us a penny. And she gave of her time to us and it really helped us think hard. She was a challenger and she challenged us to think about making sure that we got all of our ducks in a row and I'm talking all of that boring behind the business scene sort of stuff like your protocols in place your policies and procedures and and so forth as well as the you know the fun stuff like the marketing and creative services and so forth so Jackie's been great and Jackie has morphed from being a business advisor to my one of my best friends I go around the world hiking with Jackie now. <laughs> Some fun stuff. <laughs> Some fun stuff. We were going to go to the French Alps this year, but obviously that's all on hold for for now. The next <laughs> yeah. So, look, I, I find it interesting that you say that, Ellen, because uh, you know I talk to people about business succession, so smaller businesses about business succession all the time, and there's just so much value in those assets that they create, and you know that mm-hmm. systems and policies, procedures, protocols, all those 
boring things is really what makes the business a business. You know, it's not yeah. about what's in your head and those brilliant creative ideas and how you execute on them. It's about you being able to take a step away from the business and the business can run without you. So you need the right, you know, systems and processes and policies and assets in that regard and you need the right people. That's absolutely right. So hopefully we've got a turnkey solution right now. There's always, you know, tinkering to be done, but um, that's uh, that's what Jackie helped us get underway. Mm. So like me, you've got a mature household and ageing parents. Is having a financial plan essential to you? And what have you done personally to get control of your money while at the same time supporting the people that you care about? So getting a financial plan together has been critical in helping me manage this sort of next stage of my life because you're right, I mean, my parents lost their parents at a relatively young age. And so they never had to care for them in the way that we do. And and, and it's it's a really tough thing because you you find yourself in the sandwich generation looking after children and you and, and ongoing looking after them because the world has not been kind to the generation coming through. Mm. You know, they can't go out and buy homes and you know get their their financial independence in quite the same way that we probably did. And so there's this ongoing need to look after them and then there's the need to look after our parents and make sure that they are managed into, you know, the next world, as it were, in the best possible way and understanding their fears and their greatest, you know, my mother, uh, my, my father passed away earlier this year, but my mother's greatest fear is really ending up financially destitute. And, uh, you know, I'm constantly having to reassure her that, you know, we will be looking after her. So that means that I need to return to my own plan and think, well, I can't look after everybody else unless I'm looking after my own finances. You know, and I came to you to help me with that because whilst I have accountants, getting the, I guess, the creative plan together on how to manage the finances, understanding the needs the individual needs of my own situation and my family has been really important in terms of creating that plan and also creating, I have a self-managed super fund, which ended up being very opportunistic, but it needs a lot of managing and I was really unaware of how much managing that required. So being able to have a financial planner helping me understand all the, the relative needs of that and thinking about what how to actually improve on on that that particular plan has been invaluable. And I think it's you know it's really wise um, once you've created a plan to come back to it and and have a look at it and and move and change and adapt as as you move through different stages of your life or different circumstances arise in your life, um, just to make sure that you're on track. That is so true, and I say that to my own clients because just because you've created your marketing plan doesn't mean it sits on the shelf. And the same is true of financial plan you need to pull it out and look at it and you know consider it and change it and adapt it as times change and your own personal needs change so that's why an ongoing relationship with a financial planner is as is important as an ongoing relationship with a Microsoft agency <laughs> couldn't, couldn't <laughs> agree with you more Ellen so tell us three things that you've learned in the past three months oh okay three things I have learned that people are much more resilient than they think they are. 
And in all the panic buying and so forth, it was the people who sat back and actually did nothing who probably came out of this best. And I don't know about you, but I never panic bought toilet paper. No. And I never <laughs> I found it disappointing that you couldn't buy toilet paper. You know, my background has always been, my, my parents have always had, you know, a small bulk buying kind of idiom as I grew up and I do that now. So I've always had that stuff, you know. I've never, never, I was never going to run out, right? So I've, I've learned that, you know, things like that I you know, not to not to react and not to respond to that. Um, and that's true also in the business because the panic was, oh, my God, you know, clients won't, won't want to buy or won't want to spend, but I have called them all and I learnt that actually they were just as worried as we were and, you know, they needed to be able to hear that there are other businesses out there who are still going forward and it was okay to do that. Mm you know, not to, not to draw a line in the sand. And I guess the third thing I've learned is that, you know, financially, and this is a really important one, not to panic. So I've had real estate agents approach me to, to sell and, you know, like pretty much a vulture sort of sale. And, you know, I've looked at my stocks going through the floor and, you know, but I'm in this for the long term. So, you know, this is but a glitch, it's a significant glitch, but it is a glitch. And, you know, I can already see markets starting to bounce back. And, you know, that's true. The property market is starting to, you know, recorrect. So the lesson is don't panic, take a deep breath, sit back and go back to your financial plan, have a look at what, you you know, the goals that you've set yourself and steer the course. And, and that's great advice. I mean, I look at it and I think over the past three months for myself, I saw people pulling money, you know, after the event, pulling money out of their superannuation and because they were scared, but they'd locked in those losses when the markets were substantially down, mm. you know, taking money out because the, the government offered an incentive um, to withdraw a small sum when they didn't actually need it. So now, mm. to, you know, they paid tax, <laughs> paid tax on the way in and, <laughs> you know, um, to get it yeah. back in there, they're possibly paying tax again. So they've, you know, made some mistakes there too because, you know, the only reason to do that was if you absolutely needed it. In terms of the share market, we know that the share market will recover. There's literally, you know, if you're properly diversified, there's literally thousands of investments there that, you know, will come back. Most of those businesses will survive and, you know, there's no mm. point panicking because you are, as I say, locking in those losses. And so it's just really having a steady head and that's really what I see, you know, in times of crisis like that where, uh, you know, having that ongoing relationship with a financial advisor, my job is to help you make decisions that are good decisions and stop you from making bad decisions. I mean, realistically, you know, markets are down 30 or 40%. That's a big loss to, to carry. And, and you know, mm. depending on where you are in your, your life cycle, you may never make that up. So, you know, having that relationship and and getting good advice is, is just so valuable. <laughs> it absolutely is. Mm. So, look, what's one thing that our listeners can do right now to help their businesses in the long run? I think the one thing we could do to help our businesses in the long run is to ensure that we have a solid business plan. And just like a financial plan, you need to have a lot of diversity in there. You need to make sure that you are incorporating the impact of the pandemic, but not 
the panic and you need to look at what you need to adjust to steer the course on that plan because adjustments will need to be made. But for businesses, you need to understand how the consumer has changed. What are the subtle changes that have been made that we feel that may be, you know, may need monitoring? And that will help you with understanding how to market, you know, what are the right messages to to say right now and what are the changing messages for the future to help customers understand that you you get where they are right now and what they need from you. And I think I saw many, many businesses pivoting really quickly and I just felt like it was really a time to pause and and just really plan that out carefully. You know, as you say, a financial plan, a business plan, vital, because, yeah. you know, it helps you to go back and, and assess, are those still my goals? Am I on track? What do I need to do to get on track? Or, you know, can't I get on track? And what does that mean? You know, what adjustments do I need to make? And it's just about making, you know, having a baseline to, to make some really good, informed, quality decisions. Yeah, absolutely. I just wonder how many people are going to continue to buy gin-based hand sanitizer <laughs> in the future. Uh, I don't know. I've got mine here. <laughs> yeah. So where can we find you online, Ellen? And, you know, do you have any go-to resources to help our listeners today? Yes, there's a lot of resources on our website, which is www.rubychacha.com.au. So there's lots of information on things like how to launch a new product and how to segment your audience. There's a, a really good little webinar on there. Three Secrets to Small Business Marketing Success, which might be right up the alley for some of you. Beautiful. You can get me on email, ellen at rubychacha.com.au. We are also on Facebook, LinkedIn and Twitter. (laughs) Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time today, Ellen. It's really been fascinating talking to you. Is there anything else we should know before we sign off? Thanks, Janine. Thanks for throwing me that question. Uh, (laughs) Look, all I would say to all of your listeners is, to have faith in yourself, have faith in your business plan and stay the course. We will all get out of this and we will all, might be a rocky road, but we will all get there. Thanks again, Ellen. It's been really insightful talking to you. So if you'd like more information, you can contact me, Janine Wilson from Finesse Financial Advisors by looking at our website, www.finesseadvisors.com or email me at admin at If you'd like a gift voucher for a a free discovery session, send me a note with gift voucher in the header. Thank you, Ellen. My pleasure. Hope you enjoyed the show today and have some action steps you can take right now to get control of your money. Join me, Janine Wilson, next time for Finesse Your Money. Meantime, head to my website, www.finesseadvisors.com or email me at admin at finesseadvisors.com to claim a gift voucher for a discovery session with me valued at $150. Make sure you put gift voucher in the headline.